Welcome to The Optimistic Curmudgeon, where the best ideas win. I'm your host, Josh Herring. Today, my guest is Bob Luddy. Bob is the founder and CEO of Captive Air, the global leader in kitchen ventilation technology. We're actually recording today in the newest building as part of the Captive Air headquarters in Raleigh, North Carolina. Bob is also the founder of Franklin Academy, Thales Academy, St. Thomas More Academy, and Thales College. Bob, welcome back to The Optimistic Hey, Curmudgeon. glad to be here, Josh. Uh, you're the first guest I've had on a second time to the show, so well, I'm so I'm glad honored. you could join us. <laughs> Uh, before we get into our topic today, which I'm sure our, our listeners and viewers are very excited about, I really want to get your thoughts on, on inflation. Um, I do want to know, uh, real quick, tell us about your thoughts about George Leaf's new novel, The Awakening of Jennifer Van Arsdale. It's a terrific novel, and I was wondering whether George Leaf could pull this off. And now we know he's a great writer, but to pull off a novel, something new, he, it was extraordinarily good, and he used all of his skills to make it happen. I, I love the book. I read it straight through, and I highly recommend it. Well, I, I agree. I read it as well and uh, thoroughly enjoyed interviewing George uh, on The Optimistic Curmudgeon. Uh, viewers and listeners, that episode will be the debut episode of season three, so be sure to check us out for that. And again, the novel is George Leaf's The Awakening of Jennifer Van Arsdale. It's a great uh, political fable, and uh, I, I both enjoyed the novel and felt like I learned something about economics from, from reading it. Absolutely. Uh, well, Bob, I wanted to get together with you today in part because I heard an irritating newscast about uh, the current inflation. And the, the newscast was citing a Wall Street Journal reporter and essentially claiming that uh, no one really knows where inflation came from or why it happened. Uh, but And they were very careful to avoid mentioning that the Federal Reserve might in fact be responsible yeah. for our current inflationary woes. Uh, you're one of the most well-read people I know, so I thought you could uh, share with us some things about inflation today. Uh, just to situate our conversation, I want to share some quick numbers that I, I grabbed. The U.S. inflation calculator reports that from by the end of March 22, 2022, we have an 8.5% inflation compared to 12 months ago. And then the previous year, there was a 7% inflation. So across the past 24 months, uh, that gives us a 15.5% inflation rate. Just in contrast, three years ago, that data was 1.4% inflationary growth massive inflation. Uh, CNBC has a really interesting grocery comparison. That's one of the places I've seen this most uh, realistically. Mm. Uh, apparently the cost of food in the grocery store has gone up 7.9% in a year uh, with the, uh, the outlier is bacon. Apparently it's up 17%. I, I don't know why. At the same time, there's lots of other kind of random economic indicators that weird things are happening. Uh, AgWeb.com reports that Walmart is now offering truckers a starting salary of $95,000 to $110,000 per year. At the same time, apparently there's still a shortage of truckers, uh, about 80,000 truckers. So I might tell my students, you know, if you really want to take, just take a couple years, uh, delay college, get a CDL, go yeah. drive a truck for a couple years, and then invest all that money. So. With all of that, we're in a weird economic moment. Uh, Bob, what can you tell us about inflation? What, what is inflation? Why does it happen? Let's begin with the interventions. So the first intervention was Trump and tariffs. Trump called himself Tariff Man. So he uh, puts 25% tariffs on steel with the idea to help domestic producers. Well, one of the things that it did is it put one of the major stainless steel producers, Washington Steel, out of business because they bought uh, slabs internationally and they couldn't compete. Uh, the second thing it did was create, over time, shortages. Now we know what happens when shortages come along, prices go up. Anybody remembers uh, 1929, uh, when we had uh, severe tariffs uh, in the 60% range? Mm. It shut down international trade, and to me it was the precursor of the Great Depression. So we start with tariffs, 
And then what do we do? 2020 comes along, we shut the economy down. So people think in terms of production as a light switch, we turn it off and on, but it turned out it doesn't work that way, does it? It's not. <laughs> so we shut down the economy, people retire, they're tired of working, whole, whole bunch of reasons they don't come back. So we've restricted demand, we've made costs higher, we've created interventions. And you might ask, well, why do people buy steel from China or Taiwan or Europe? There's a reason. We don't know all those reasons, but those buyers do. We shut them all down. So now, as a result, we have severe shortages of steel. Prices are two, two X. If you're a new buyer, you can't even buy steel because you don't have an allocation. Well, that was bad enough, but we're going to put some more fuel on the fire. And because they shut down the economy, they said, well, people need money. We'll just, we'll just wire them money. So we have people sitting on the couch being wired money, ordering from Amazon. So now we, we spike demand, we've crushed supply. What would logically, what do you think would happen? Now the Federal Reserve was there to help. So Sounds the, like a terrifying phrase. <laughs> <laughs> um, the federal government is spending $5 trillion they don't have and the Federal Reserve's not to worry, we can create that money for you. So now we have the enabler, the Federal Reserve creating this money and we have even more demand uh, with the money supply. So we have massive distortions within the production, within the economy. And then strange things happen like truck drivers get paid $100,000 a year. Um, it shouldn't be a surprise. When you create distortions, unusual things happen. So to me, the path toward inflation is very clear and it's not gonna go away easily. Well, that was my next thought. I read several articles where the Federal Reserve used the phrase temporary. This is temporary inflation. These are temporary conditions. We've had a temporary uh, upset in the economy. Do you see this as temporary or is this gonna take a long time to kind of recover from? Not at all. I wrote articles for the American Spectator almost a year ago saying inflation is not transitory. Now, why did they say it was transitory? It got them through the day and through the month but it wasn't about six months later as we came into uh, late 2021, uh, the Federal Reserves were no longer gonna use the word transitory. That, that didn't work out. It was pretty obvious to most observers it was not gonna work out because we're talking about inertia and momentum. Inflation has momentum. And when it has momentum, it's very hard to stop. When inflation is low, you have inertia Nobody wants to raise prices because they're gonna lose business. Now it's the reverse. We're just gonna keep raising our prices because everybody's raising my prices. So that momentum is very hard to arrest. So in a way, we could look at this as sort of a, an application of the laws of physics to economics. That <laughs> Absolutely. For a reaction, there's an equal and opposite reaction. Something in motion is gonna continue being in motion until operated on by an equal or opposite force. Essentially, it's not very hard to understand. <clears throat> Unfortunately, uh, there's so much noise in the marketplace. For the average person, it's hard to understand because they've heard 40 incorrect reasons why we have inflation. Greedy businessmen, Russian wars, etc. All nonsense. Well, the Biden administration has certainly made a lot of hay over the, the Russian interruptions, and I'm sure that doesn't help the situation. That and there are the, the the international economy is so networked together that having a major player now be at war with another player does create more disruptions. But from what you're saying, it sounds like these problems are going back a lot further than eight weeks ago when Russia invaded the Ukraine. You know, in Q2 of 21, which is what we're in now, a year later, <clears throat> inflation was roaring in the industrial sector. 
So it was nine months later before the war started. So we know that's that's not the prime cause. But uh, I distinctly remember a political cartoon when I was a, I was a kid. Uh, this was uh, during Bill Clinton's impeachment trial, uh, during the right after the Monica Lewinsky affair, and there was a cartoonist who uh, decided to depict the president's reaction to his looming impeachment. Uh, he was he was making a phone call uh, to then still alive uh, guy Saddam Hussein, and in the cartoon he's saying, uh, "Saddam, I just want you to know, I, I really need a war right now, so <laughs> I, I just might push the button." And <laughs> the, the point, of course, is clear: like the president needed a distraction. And it, it seems to me that this is not just the Biden administration's fault, as you've said. This is also part of the Trump administration's poor economic choices. Uh, but the Biden administration is going to great lengths to make sure everyone knows, think about Russia, don't think about an expansive uh, federal bureaucracy, and especially don't think about the bad results of modern monetary theory that are coming into play. Yeah, if, if all that wasn't bad enough, modern monetary theory essentially says you can spend any amount of money, you just have to borrow the money, and in the worst cases, you raise taxes. So what's Biden talking about? Let's raise taxes. Well, there's an article in the Wall Street Journal today that says that at the lower 21% corporate tax rate, they're collecting way more money than they projected under the 35% rate for this year and next year. Uh, but he wants to undo all that by raising corporate taxes. So pretty much everything the federal government does makes inflation worse. So when they say we're here to help, please don't help us. Um, as a consumer, I, I see inflation at the, whether I'm buying hamburger at the store or filling up uh, my car at the gas pump. Uh, but as a business leader, uh, where do you see inflation affecting your business and how do business owners and operators respond to inflationary pressures? Well, based on actual government data, the producer pricing index is now over 10%. So it's higher than the consumer price index. What we found in the HVAC industry due to severe shortages inflation is running anywhere between 15 and 30%, <clears throat> depending on the particular product in the industry. So inflation in the industrial market is vastly worse. It's even worse than PPI in certain industries. And what, what that's telling you is the CPI is gonna to continue to expand until demand is reduced. It's very simple. Supply demand has been around for at least 500 years. It never changes, uh, but it's often ignored. So we will eventually then reach a point where those are back to some level of balance, where supply and demand have met each other again on the, on the curve. If the federal, if and only if the federal government stops spending money and stops wiring money to people so they can buy from Amazon. Uh, Seems like a, a, well, hopefully there are no more stimulus checks coming. I, I will freely confess, I enjoyed getting my stimulus mm -hmm. check. Uh, my wife and I used our last stimulus checks to pay off the last bit of student loan debt that we had. And uh, I felt like that was a great use of a, 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 basically a tax refund to me. But uh, I, I don't want any more inflation to come to devalue uh, my dollars uh, any further. Now, um, what might slowing down or reversing an inflated economy look like? I mean, are, are there... Are there options? Like, could the Federal Reserve actually make some moves to help, or is any further motion by the Federal Reserve only gonna cause further problems? The Federal Reserve can help by raising interest rates because it removes distortions from the market. There's another article in the Wall Street Journal today talking about how ultra-low interest rates creates enormous distortions. Companies load up on debt because the interest rate's only 1%. When it's three to four, some of them go bankrupt. So the Federal Reserve, so there will be pain 
to get rid of the distortions, maybe a lot of pain. Anybody that remembers the 80s when interest rates were 20%, it worked to eliminate inflation, but it was very painful. Is that going to have a direct impact on the housing market? Absolutely. It's already having an impact because uh, interest rates are above 5%. And people are, and the cost of housing has gone up so much that that 5% is very meaningful now. When the housing costs were lower and interest rates were 3%, it created this just massive demand. Uh, we're, we're at the bad end of that cycle now. Okay. So the housing market is going to slow down. Where do you see the economy going in the next couple of years? Is inflation going to continue to rise? Are the current, is, the, is the current movement and, of raising interest rates once and speculation that two more are coming this year, is that enough? Or where, where, where do you see us going? Nobody knows if it's enough or not, but we're going to see a slowdown in GDP, uh, maybe an increase in unemployment, and then very gradually inflation comes down. Because remember, inflation has momentum, and it's not going to be easy to break that momentum. Uh, that inflation mentality has got to be ringed out of the system, and it can only be done with pain. That's, I'm sorry to bring the bad news, but that's the way it works. <laughs> well, it, it, it's unfortunate in one sense uh, to hear bad news like that, but I, I think it's also refreshing because uh, you talk to contemporary economists and they seem to, they describe the economy as if it's something that can be infinitely manipulated. Yeah, a soft landing is what you want an airplane to do. The economy doesn't do that due to manipulation of the government. The, uh, I, I think what we're really dealing with instead, I think that's what you're, you're getting at, is that the economy is this massive representation of reality and people's choices. And people have been making poor choices, ignoring reality in different ways for an awful long time. And it, it may take, it sounds like it's going to take pain and sacrifice to, to get back to where we need to be economically. Yeah, very often the only thing that brings us into reality is pain. And, and pa pain brings us into reality very quickly. Yeah. So if the government does nothing, and there's an example of this in uh, 1921, there was a pretty severe recession. The government did nothing. It was cured within a year. If the government helps, they just extend the pain out for a long period of time, which is what Obama did. The pain lasted for eight years. So hypothetically then, and I, I know economists differ about this. I had a conversation with a, a friend named Paul Mueller, who's an economist at the King's College in, in Manhattan, about this back at the beginning of the pandemic when we were first talking about economic bailouts. Uh, he, he suggested that, in fact, the bailouts were the right move to make at the time because people had stopped working and we had to have the economy continue to run at some point. But this then may either, so either this is the necessary cost for that or that was in fact the wrong move then. And we could be looking at a different response now if the answer had been, we're just gonna ride this out and see what happens without government intervention. That's Keynesian thinking. So essentially they spike demand. We have no new supply. It creates inflation. They've made the problem far worse. So the, the uh, Mises von, von Mises rule is that all government interventions, all government interventions make the problem worse. Think about student loans. Are colleges better off now? Are students better off now because we have student loans? Absolutely not. Is K-12 education better now because we have a Department of Education? Absolutely not. I could go down a laundry list that would take a long time. Oh, we could spend the rest of the day on that. <laughs> we could. We, we certainly shouldn't, but we could. I was just talking with a friend this past week about uh, the upcoming Coolidge debate resolution on uh, capitalism versus socialism and which is the better, better economic system for the well-being of the average American. And he at least was arguing in favor of socialism and his real reason for that was because he had student loan debt. He really wants the government to just <laughs> forgive that. 
Well, and I tried to kind of walk him through the logic of, well, once upon a time, colleges managed to do everything that a good college needed to do on less than $6,000 a semester for tuition. But once the federal government is willing to loan anyone who wants to go to college a seemingly infinite amount of money, there's no reason to keep costs down. And those, those, those pressures are real. And when we ignore those pressures, we, we see it eventually in the reality of the price. Yeah, it's not hard to figure out, do you want to live in Russia, in Cuba, in Venezuela, in North Korea, or do you want to live in the U.S.? Sure, we, we have some problems. We have some warts, uh, but it's vastly preferred over any of these other countries that embrace socialism. Uh, well, Bob, you mentioned uh, von Mises a moment ago. I know uh, some of our listeners might be interested in learning more either about the Austrian School of Economics or more about the, the complex topic of inflation. Uh, do you have any book recommendations or any particular voices that you like on these topics? Uh, well, Economics in One Lesson is a good one to start. Henry Hazlitt, book's been around for 70 years. If, if you want to really uh, get deep dive, you go to Human Action by Von Mises. But if you, you can go to the Mises Institute and all the books they have are free in a PDF form. Uh, so you can go through the range of books and essentially Austrian economics is just grounded in reality. It's deductive. The Austrian economists make no predictions about the future except to say, if you do the right thing, you'll probably get good results. And if you have government interventions, the results will probably be not so good. So it's not complicated. And the, the average intelligent person could figure it out on their own if they thought about it enough. I think there's, there's a lot of value in uh, listening to the formal voices of, of trained economists. But in reality, we, we all are economists at one level, at that level of the, the house law and the management of personal financial resources. Uh, Bob, do you have any advice for listeners who might want to make certain moves in the current moment of the economy to shield their assets from inflationary pressures? Well, hard assets are going to benefit from inflation. So anything that you own that's a hard asset, hold on to it. If you can get a good deal on a real estate, it's probably going to pay off. And also companies that can grow in through adversity are, are good assets because they can continue to generate cash flow. The high flyers that were trading at 100 and 200 times earnings, they're all collapsing. The, the companies making really bad decisions are collapsing. Investment always comes back to the same thing, back to the basics. If you buy at a good price and you have a good quality asset, it's gonna appreciate, particularly during inflationary times. If you're buying overpriced goods uh, that, that are not sustainable, you're gonna be a loser. Oh, that makes sense. I know part of your leadership of Captive Air is, is a strong concern for debt, and you've, you've avoided taking on any debt uh, for Captive Air, even though as, as your company has expanded massively over the years. Does that, avoiding debt, is that a helpful position to be in for your company when suddenly the market is kind of going crazy? Not according to private equity, but if you read in the Wall Street Journal today, all these companies with massive debt, they're in serious trouble. Captive Air has been debt free for about 30 years now. So we don't have to worry. As a matter of fact, when there's downturns, we prosper uh, because everybody else is having challenges. We, we have plenty of cash to get through it. And we have massive improvement during these downturns, which sometimes is hard to do when you have a robust economy. You're just trying to fill orders and, and get through the day. When it turns down a little bit, you have a little bit more time that creates uh, massive improvement. So recessions are actually helpful to Captive Air. How many companies would say that? Oh. I, I'm sure not many, uh, but certainly it's a. It's I, I remember a uh, an old cartoon that was looking at the uh, the the fa uh, one of Aesop's fables about the uh, uh, the grasshopper and the ants, where uh, the grasshopper would play his fiddle during the summer, 
but then he had no food in the winter, <laughs> where the ants was uh, working really hard during the summer and had enough to get by in lean times. I think ultimately Aesop's fable is wisdom from ancient Greece all the way through to today, that hard work in those, those great times prepares people to make it through uh, difficult times. And it'll work for the next thousand years. <laughs> <laughs> well, that's one of the benefits of, uh, of ancient wisdom. Uh, well, Bob, thank you so much for joining me today for a quick conversation about inflation. We really appreciate your insights. It's a pleasure to be here. So, ladies and gentlemen, my guest this episode has been Mr. Bob Luddy, businessman, educational entrepreneur, and today, a well-read guide to confusing economic times. Thank you, listeners, for joining us for another episode of The Optimistic Curmudgeon. Until next time, love the good, seek the true, and enjoy the beautiful. You've been listening to another conversation on The Optimistic Curmudgeon. If you like what you've heard today, please leave us a five-star review on your favorite podcasting platform. If you want to get in touch with us, you can email us at optimisticcurmudgeon2021 at gmail.com. You can find us on all major social media sites. I'll list three. Uh, We're on Twitter at OptimisticC3, on Instagram at OptimisticCurmudgeon2021, and Facebook at Facebook.com slash the-optimistic-curmudgeon. You can find our show notes, guest bios, and all episodes stored on our website, OptimisticCurmudgeon.org. Until next time, seek the good, love the true, and pursue the beautiful.